This is the third day of this June 2019 seven-day session. The rain has stopped. The sun is bright in the sky. And there's still, it's just this. We'll resume reading from the teachings of the 14th century Japanese Zen master Basui. <clears throat> and the, uh, the name of the book we're reading from is Mud and Water. And it's translated by Arthur Braverman. <clears throat> Uh, in the first Teisho on this book, we read the biography of uh, Basui, and now we'll go into these actual teachings. <clears throat> A layman asked, What is the true meaning of the statement, Outside the sutras, not through words? This is probably his own... Uh, abbreviated version of the, uh, the hallmark of the Zen school of Buddhism. is It's always known as a, a teaching beyond words without reliance on the sutras. So, so the questioner is asking, what is the true meaning of that? And the master, Basui, called to him at once, Koji, which is a term for uh, lay students, and the student responded immediately, Yes. The master said, From which teachings did that yes come? The layman then lowered his head and bowed. Then the master said, When you decide to come here, you do so by yourself. When you want to ask a question, you do it by yourself. You do not depend on another nor do you use the teachings of the Buddha. <clears throat> this mind which directs the self is the essence of the transmission outside the sutras without reliance on words. Clever worldly statements, the written word, reason and duty, discrimination and understanding cannot reach the Zen. One who looks penetratingly into his true self and does not get ensnared in words, nor stained by the teachings of the Buddhas and patriarchs, one who goes beyond the singular road which advances toward enlightenment and does not let cleverness become his downfall, will for the first time attain the way. So strong warning here from Basui uh, about cleverness, facility with words and discriminations. Trouble is, people who have such a facility uh, get so such a payoff from it, from their cleverness, their their wit, their wanting to to uh, get one up on others through their wit. It's very hard to to refrain from having that clutter of one's mind. And that's just that's just speaking of 
the actual speech. Uh, you can imagine what goes on in the mind of such a person playing with words, playing, playing. Kind of enthralled with their wit. He goes on, from the beginning everyone is complete and perfect. Buddhas and ordinary people alike are originally the Tathagata. It's a reference to um, the Buddha. The leg and arm movement of a newborn baby is also the splendid work of its original nature. The bird flying, the hare running, the sun rising, the moon sinking, the wind blowing, the clouds moving. All things which shift and change are due to the spinning of the right Dharma wheel of their own original nature. They depend neither on the teachings of others nor on the power of words. It is from the spinning of my right Dharma wheel that I now am talking like this, and you are all listening likewise through the splendor of your Buddha nature. The substance of this Buddha nature is like a great burning fire. When you realize this, gain and loss, right and wrong, will be destroyed. Life, death, and nirvana will be yesterday's dream. The countless worlds will be like foam on the sea. The teachings of the Buddhas and patriarchs will be like a snowflake over a burning red furnace. Then you will not be restrained by Dharma, nor will you rid yourself of Dharma. You'll be like a log thrown into a fire, your whole body ablaze, without being aware of the heat. Let's uh, rewind this a little. The substance of this Buddha nature is like a great burning fire. Well, I think of the the fire as a wonderful example of uh, the formlessness of form. We, we see a fire has a certain form to it. We, an appearance, we see it. Maybe even if just as a flame, the flame of a candle, there's fire. And yet, there is nothing fixed. Uh, it's, it's, fire by its nature is flux. It's dynamic. This is our nature. Our self nature, our original nature having a certain appearance and yet nothing to that appearance, nothing to that form. He talks about gain and loss and right and wrong being destroyed. It means seen as the concepts that they are, things that we've constructed, things that everyone as a certain uh, acceptance of, as, as ideas, right and wrong. Every culture has its own ideas of right and wrong. A lot of them are the same. Uh, some differences, 
but they're human constructs. And these other concepts, life, death, nirvana, yesterday's dream, even the teachings of the Buddhas and patriarchs, the Dharma itself is like a snowflake over a burning red furnace. Nothing to it. Each one of us is this selfless self. Our true self is no self. Like logs thrown into a fire without being aware of the heat. He goes on, When you have penetrated the truth in this manner and do not stop where practice and enlightenment show their traces, you will be called a Zen practitioner. And you are truly a Zen practitioner. He continues, There was the Zen master Ejo of Nangaku who excelled in learning the sutras. Before reaching enlightenment, he had an interview with the sixth patriarch, Ino. The sixth patriarch asked, What is it that comes in this manner? Ejo could not answer at that time, but carried his doubt with him for eight years. He then came to a realization and went to see the sixth patriarch again. The sixth patriarch said, Again, What is it that comes in this manner? Ejo replied, One word of explanation already misses the mark. Six patriarchs said, This is still a disease of the mind. Again, Ejo took leave and once more spent eight years questioning this. And finally, after experiencing a great awakening, he returned to Doksan with the sixth patriarch. The master again asked, what is it that comes in this manner? Ejo replied, It's not that there is no realization, but that it's not something that can be attained. And at this, the sixth patriarch accepted the response. He approved. It's not that there's no realization. He's not denying awakening, but that it's not something that can be attained. How can it not be attained, this realization? In what sense does he mean it can't be attained? Another master said, no ordinary person ever became a Buddha. Only Buddhas become Buddhas. <coughs> Basui continues, If this were something which could be grasped through words and sutras, 
Why couldn't the learned Nangaku come up with a word to answer the sixth patriarch? Remember, he was excelled in the, the sutras. If Nangaku, not yet having attained enlightenment, were to have answered in his ignorance, using his common sense and knowledge of the teachings, he might not have attained enlightenment. Aside from one who instantly penetrates Satori with a one-word response, it is rare to find one in this world who, like Nangaku, has directly experienced Satori to its core. Truly, one who understands Dharma is to be venerated. He is the master who, for the sake of others and in accord with their various stages of development, points them directly to their own mind. There are those who, hearing a word from a teacher, have a great satori in which they lose their body and life. Some, after three to five days, resolve their doubts, while others take as much as three to five or even 10 to 20 years before resolving their doubts. We tentatively give this period of doubt the name grappling with one's koan. Though the words may differ and some may realize satori quickly while others take a long time, when realization does come, everyone wakes up to his original nature in its perfection. This realization is not based on words or phrases. And so Zen has also always been called the school of direct experience. The difference between a stick striking wood, the difference between that and And there's a lot here that I think is not so suitable for Taisho, for hearing it read aloud. Um, And uh, we're skipping up to uh, another question of Basui. Within the teachings, it is said that it is easy for one to believe if the karmic relationship with the teacher is right, and it is easy to enter if the karmic connection to the way is right then no matter how hard I practice, I could not be expected to reach enlightenment if my past karma were not right. Should I first try to practice a way that would set my karma right? Of course. Zazen does that. That's what we're all doing. We're putting, uh, refining uh, our karma, purifying our mind-body But again, the question, it's easy for one to believe if the karmic relationship with the teacher is right and easy to enter, that is, to 
see into one's nature if the karmic connection to the way is right. And Basui says, it is evident that some people have a karmic inclination for the way and others do not. And let me just insert anyone sitting in this room has a strong karmic inclination for the way. And in fact, let's say anyone hearing this uh, this talk uh, anywhere, anytime, that, that itself is evidence of their karmic inclination with the way. He goes on, even if one were to teach the way of heretics, the way of evil spirits, or of the lesser vehicle, those who have a karmic affinity with a teacher, even in a previous birth, will believe him and call him a great teacher. On the other hand, even if one were a Buddha or a patriarch, those who do not have a karmic affinity with him would neither believe what he says nor want to be near him. In other words, everything comes down to affinity. That's what draws us to a practice or to a teacher or to others, to a sangha. We can always say uh, we have an affinity uh, once we've established any kind of connection. That must be, that means there's an affinity without such contact or connection there isn't an affinity yet about this one who um, do not have a karmic affinity with a teacher uh, they would try to go far from where he dwells and slander him during the time of the Buddha, there were some who slandered him and became disciples of heretics and demons. Yeah, let's, let's mention about these rather colorful terms, heretics and demons. Heretics, I think, is um, just a general term from the 14th century and, and earlier of those who uh, believe something other than the way. And uh, demons is just 14th century language for forces, and these can be psychological forces uh, that uh, have that quality of bedeviling one. To uh, so in this case, to become a disciple of a demon uh, would be to come. Uh, to be in thrall to uh, some something or someone uh, who is um, at odds with the way. He goes on, to follow either the right path or the path of heretics depends on your karmic inclination. This uh, just a little bit more about the phrase karmic inclination or karmic affinity. It it removes all right and wrong from it. And it's um, it's why we have no use in Zen for 
trying to convert other people. Um, it's a recognition that um, depending on causes and conditions, that if, if there is a karmic affinity with a, a person and a teacher or a person and a practice or a person in a sangha, that will show itself. It doesn't mean, though, that we have to keep secret, say, with people at work, people we work with who have no connection at all to uh, Buddhism or Zen. It doesn't mean we have to keep secret what, we're, what our own af- affinity is. But then the last thing we want to do is make too much of that with other people uh, who uh, will find their way to it uh, as long as they're aware of it. Uh, that's the, the case also in, with um, with the Zen Center where we, we make people, um, sometimes we will make people aware that we exist, the Zen Center exists, and uh, just count on the people who do have an affinity with us to find their way sooner or later to the center without going out and uh, talking about it unless we're invited He goes on, when your karmic inclination for the Dharma has manifested itself, it is easy to enter the way. The teachings of heretics, the way of the lesser vehicle and of expedient means, all are established as temporary dharmas. Hence, there will be those with karmic inclination toward these dharmas and those without such inclination. Just a, a, an example just sprang to mind. Uh, one of the groups uh, that we rent Chapin Mill to uh, once or twice a year, and by the way, some of our best renters, uh, are a, a Transcendental Meditation Group. And uh, one of their uh, alleged practices here is levitation. Uh, and that, I think, Basui would... Uh, put in the basket of uh, heretics or, if not demons. Now, these are nice people. Um, (laughs) Some of the best people I know are heretics. (laughs) Actually, that's true. I I know other, I know very wonderful people who are not not, uh, practicing Zen or the Buddhism and because, why? Because they don't yet have a karmic affinity with it. And then he says, but with the true dharma, there is not a single person who hasn't the karmic inclination toward it. So whether he is a beginner or an older practitioner, layman or monk, it goes without saying that all who believe wholeheartedly will attain Buddhahood. Without talking about it, therefore, we call it the right Dharma, the original face of all Buddhas and ordinary people, the master of seeing, hearing, and perceiving. The 84,000 skin pores, the 380 joints, Virtually the whole body is the Dharma body. 
What ordinary person then does not have karmic inclination for the way? So he's speaking on two levels. It sounds contradictory, but let's see if we can reconcile these. Uh, from the ordinary conventional uh, point of view, we can say that uh, some people do and some people don't have a karmic affinity based on whether or not they're involved uh, with a teacher or a center or a practice. But on the other hand, fundamentally, fundamentally, since we all are equally endowed with this original nature, we must have in that sense, uh, karmic affinity. We have the capacity to awaken. That's one way to understand Buddha nature. The Buddha nature we all share is Buddha nature means that every one of us has the capacity to become enlightened. Buddha, in traditional terms. But let's say enlightened. That's our Buddha nature. No one has any more of it or less of it than anyone else. This is what awakening reveals. And then he says, uh, just to repeat, what ordinary person does not have karmic inclination for the way? He says, there is no ice or snow apart from water. So this was this was uh, something like 300 years before Hakuin composed his chant in praise of Zazen, where, which begins like water and ice, without water no ice, outside us no Buddhas. The Buddhahood of ordinary people can be likened to snow and ice melting and becoming water. From the beginning, nothing has ever been lost. If one says he has no karmic inclination toward the right dharma and first wants to practice a method to make this karmic connection, it is like a wave in the ocean searching for the ocean, saying it has no karmic inclination toward it and hence must seek out a a means of making this connection. (coughs) Isn't it just like Yajna Datta searching for his head on top of his head, thinking he has lost it? very well-known analogy that's uh, mentioned also in the Three Pillars of Zen. So it is with Buddhas and ordinary people. They are like the water and its waves. Though they are not separated by as much as the width of a hair, because of the one mistaken thought, I am ordinary, or I mean, let's say I'm unenlightened, that's, that's really what he means, they think that enlightenment is difficult to realize. So he puts his finger on the fundamental uh, obstruction to awakening to our enlightened nature is just that deep-seated notion that uh, I'm not there yet, that I'm unenlightened. It's an idea. Yes, there are those who have awakened to their original enlightenment, those who haven't, but still, one is equally enlightened. And to, to tell oneself that story, that one is in some fundamental way unenlightened, is, 
is to create uh, a barrier. But to overcome that assumption, it's kind of an assumption, uh, it takes a vigorous practice uh, to wipe clean uh, that notion from the mind. The way of Zen began without the establishment of any sect. It is simply a path which points to the one original mind of all Buddhas and ordinary people. This mind is nothing other than Buddha nature. To see this nature is what is meant by religious practice. When you realize your Buddha nature, wrong relationships will disappear, words will be of no concern, the dust of the Dharma will not stain you. This is what is called Zen. Uh, he's, he's really talking about deep enlightenment in terms of wrong relationships will disappear. Attaining Zen is becoming a Buddha. This real Buddha is none other than the heart of all beings, the master of seeing, hearing, and perceiving. Another questioner, it is said that one who practices the way will remove obstructing demons. If one simply practices zazen and doesn't chant, uh, and doesn't chant, by what grace will he remove these obstructions? So the questioner is, is uh, questioning whether just zazen itself is enough. And Basui says, a robber does not break into the home of a poor child. The cave of demons and heretics, on the other hand, is rich with human egos and analytical thoughts. Clearly seeing into one's nature is called practice, and the seat that puts an end to analytical thoughts is called zazen. When analytical thoughts are forgotten, views based on knowledge are also forgotten, leaving no trace of ego. Uh, now let's um, let's offer a couple alternate translations here. Analytical thoughts is just one kind of uh, conceptual, discriminating thoughts. I think that was a better way of putting it. Uh, so let's substitute that. Clearing, clearly, seeing into one's nature is called practice, and the seat that puts an end to conceptual thoughts or. Uh, Conceptual attachments is called zazen. And when these discriminating thoughts are forgotten, uh, everything else is also forgotten without a trace of ego. Uh, ego, uh, that is attachment to the notion of a fixed self. He says, the path where heavenly beings fulfill their desire to offer flowers no longer exists. This is an illusion, a famous story in Zen, uh, where a certain monk 
from the uh, 6th century, 7th century, um, was supposed to have done such such intense zazen that uh, heavenly beings, another version is birds, were offering flowers while he was doing zazen on the northern cliff of Gozu Mountain. And then he encountered uh, the ma- this master Doshin, one of the, the fourth patriarch, Kazan, no, no, uh, yeah. Uh, he had a final satori, and the heavenly beings are said to have stopped coming. Why? Why would they stop coming? Uh, he's 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 pretty much enlightened, and they're bringing him flowers. And then he has one final uh, realization, and they stop. because there's no one left. Not even one who is exalted in his realization, wonderful, pure. Complete death of the self utterly transparent. There's a saying, I'll see if I can recall it. Uh, Having some attainment is the jackal's yelp. Having no attainment is the lion's roar beyond any ideas of attainment, beyond special status. We say in Zen, just be ordinary, simple. I remember reading the description of Yasutani Roshi in the Three Pillars of Zen, hearing that he just rode the subways with sneakers on. Nothing special. And then he continues, there is no gate through which demons and heretics can secretly enter because there's no self. What's, what special incantation can compare with this? It is said in the Diamond Sutra on perceiving that the five skandhas are empty. Let's just keep it simple and just say what the self is empty. One is saved from all kinds of pain and misfortune. And then Basui says, that is why the special incantations cannot be compared with diligent practice of zazen. Questioner, even if one practices the way If he doesn't know how to read one word, surely he will enter the evil path. For example, 
though he were to attain enlightenment, without knowledge, he could not save people. There are those who say one should practice meditating on mind after studying the sutras. Then there are those who say extensive knowledge and broad studies are the many particles of dust of delusion which form the seeds of interference to enlightenment. Which of these two statements should I believe? And then Basui. Enlightenment is one's inherent nature. This inherent nature is Buddha. Buddha is the way, and the way is wisdom. Everyone possesses this wisdom. It gives each individual perfect harmony. It is the natural beauty of the true ground and original face of all Buddhas and ordinary people. Awakening to this depends only on your aspiration. It makes no difference whether you can read or not. For example, even if one cannot remember his own name and being a man of inferior roots cannot read at all, if he believes this principle, he is considered one of superior roots. One who sees into his own nature arouses the great wisdom for which there is no teacher, penetrates the ashes of the Buddhas and the patriarchs, and in an instant realizes the principal Dharma teaching of the thousand distinctions and ten thousand divisions, the teachings of the scholars of the hundred houses, and the causes for birth as gods and humans. What could be hidden from him? Even if, for example, one studies the teachings of the eight sects, these are Japanese sects, and the three schools, or performs wonderful miracles, compared with the original wisdom, it is like a solitary light under the sun, or worse, like comparing a firefly to the light of the moon. So in other words, anything, no matter how much we learn or memorize or acquire in any way, how can that begin to compare with realizing the very nature of all the world, oneself, all beings, all things, animate, inanimate, the fundamental nature. How can learning things compare to that? How can knowledge, how can knowledge compare to this realization? The eight sects, um, the three schools, three schools, uh, footnote tells us, are Confucianism, Buddhism, and Taoism. doesn't matter. This is the, the essence of the Zen school. It's just, just this. Direct experience. This, here, now. It's all here. all accessible to us without learning. Learning can help. Reading can sometimes inspire one uh, to sit and to 
inspire one to take to heart this preeminence of direct experience. But in the end, it has to be the experience itself. A menu doesn't satisfy hunger. There's a question, a questioner who asks about uh, some something he read where uh, uh, just um, carving a Buddha figure uh, or a stupa uh, is itself a religious practice. Well, it can be. So can uh, um, chopping vegetables, but. Uh, and, and, and Basui takes this. He says, uh, Basui says, it is said in a sutra, one look at a stupa and you are eternally separated from the three evil paths. A stupa is a, a little mound, uh, usually somewhat conical in shape that, uh, that represents the Dharma. Uh, he's quoting this. One, Look at a stupa and you are eternally separated from the three evil paths. Then he says, if one were to take these teachings from the Buddha, Buddhist sutras literally and give discourses on them to others, and if these people were to believe this literal interpretation, they would think that every look at a stupa would bring them prolonged freedom from evil paths. They would then feel that they need to do nothing more than look upon an existing material stupa. This is one of the things that I think appeals to so many of us about Zen is, is getting beyond literal, um, taking things literally. This is what I find so so hard to take about the Bible, people who take things in the Bible literally. He goes on. It if, as is written in this sutra that he's referring to, one look upon a stupa will bring prolonged freedom from evil paths, evil paths, who, birds and beasts as well as humans, would not look upon a stupa? And would anyone fall into the three evil paths? Uh, the three evil paths, again, are the three lowest of the six realms of unenlightened existence, hell, hungry ghosts, and, thirst, and animals. If this literal interpretation of this sutra were true, why would anyone be afraid to misbehave? And why would anyone throw away the pleasures of this world to become a monk or a nun, follow the precepts, perform ascetic practices, and search for a good teacher? As for this statement, a look at a stupa brings prolonged freedom from the three evil paths. It means that one who looks directly into his inherent nature will attain prolonged liberation. Never listen to the talk of heretics who say there is a way other than looking into your own true nature. 
I know there are probably people who um, chafe at this word heretics, uh, as disparaging people of other religions and all, but he means it in a much more essential way. Uh, that uh, he means seeing through forms, seeing through all religious forms, even Buddhist religious forms, seeing through, seeing through all differences. This, how can this be compared to anything else? Our time is up. We'll stop now and recite the four vows. Thank